When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am blaming Kim for the tardiness of this episode. Holy crap, I was supposed to record like literally two hours ago and I am on a serious time crunch today because I have to go to the shop and move stuff in. See what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah, the shop. Your boys got official retail space. And it is lit. Murph's Car Town and Sports Shop is a go. That is the major, major announcement that we have today on the books. That is what I was alluding to on Friday. That is unfortunately why I had to cancel Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk is because I did have a ton of painting and moving around at the shop and I just wasn't able to be back home in time to record Friday's episode. I really wanted to. I could have, but it wouldn't have come out until like one in the morning. And at that point, it's not even Friday. And at that point, I just didn't think it was going to be worth it to just produce a ragtag episode just to put it out there. So I thought it was a better idea to just kind of cancel it all together, save that episode for today. And I do have to go at very soon, actually. I have a friend coming over, my homie Adilson, helping me move boxes of cards from the house to the shop. He's coming at 2 o'clock. It is currently 1.16 in the afternoon right now. So I'm going to have to fly through this episode. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be a shorter episode and there's going to be a lot of stuff jam-packed into this episode. That's just unfortunately how it is. I could pause it, come back to it like later in the afternoon and just kind of finish recording to make it less... Uh, rushed I guess but I feel like that's just not the way to go and that's just not the way I want to do things with this podcast so I'm gonna try to jam it all into I don't know like 40 or so minutes give me a few minutes to upload it to iMovie and then just distribute it through all the other listening applications and the youtube.com but before we talk about anything at all before we talk about anything at all hopefully you had a fantastic week In reference to last week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'm hoping that you had a fantastic weekend, which was obviously Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm so happy that you can join me today for episode 74 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy. And how are you doing? If you are asking me in return, I am doing just peachy. Thank you. I am fresh as lettuce and I could not be in any better of a mood than I am right now. Holy crap. It is so good to 
to just oh, the stress of finding the shop location is gone. I can focus on moving the stuff in. I can focus on doing the podcast. It's just going to be an absolute joyride. But with all that being said, we do have a lot of stuff to talk about today. A lot of stuff to talk about. I do have a couple of pointers and uh, I'm just trying to get some stuff on the screen so I don't forget what I need to talk about because there's a lot of stuff that happened basically over the course of a week and I want to make sure that I touch every single topic and I want to try to go in order, kind of in order of when things happened. Obviously, the major announcement being the first thing that happened on Thursday is when I signed the papers. It's Thursday when I signed the papers for the lease, yes. So I guess we'll exclude that from this uh, chronological list of topics I want to get to. So obviously the first one being the home run derby. What an absolute performance by Pete Alonso. Holy crap. And Trey Mancini did not expect him to perform nearly as fantastic as he did. And also Salvador Perez hit 28 home runs in the first round and lost to Pete Alonso, who smashed 35. So, I mean... Give the man some respect. I sure as hell didn't, but did he prove me wrong? He hit more home runs than anybody else did in the first round besides the guy he lost to in Pete Alonso. Wow, that was a great home run derby. I just wish the broadcast was better. Seriously, I'm sick and tired of the boring home run derby podcast. Like, it's just no excitement. It's just like, there's the ball deep, and that one's gone. There's the pitch. Fly ball, center field, doesn't have enough on it. Like, it's just so dry. Like, you got to put some effort and some momentum and some energy into it. Like, oh, and he just crushed it. Oh, my God. Did that hit the scoreboard? I think it did. What a blast. And here's another one. Like, that. Give us that energy, and that's what we want. But I don't want to spend too much time about the All-Star, uh, the Home Run Derby, excuse me, because I do want to spend a little time on the All-Star game itself and then baseball itself. And the first thing I want to touch upon is the All-Star Game, of course. And that was on Tuesday. Now, there's a couple reports coming out about the All-Star Game and its ratings, right? And I have a, um, an article, uh, a little paragraph on the HollywoodReporter.com. I forget who wrote it. I took a screenshot of it, but I didn't get the guy or the girl who wrote it. So pardon me for not giving credit where credit is due, which is something I like to do. Bars. Anyways. The paragraph that I screenshot, it says, Tuesday's telecast delivered 8.24 million viewers, about 100,000 more than the 2019 game's 8.14 million. Last year's All-Star game was canceled due to the pandemic. It's also worth noting that the Nielsen figures for Tuesday's include out-of-home viewing and 2019's does not. Still, the audience for the All-Star game is in keeping with both improved ratings for the baseball season, including Monday's home run derby on ESPN, and a general uptick for sports following last year's pandemic-snarled calendar. Now, there's a couple things I want to take away from that, but first, let me read you this other article, which is just a post I believe I found on Twitter from Talking Baseball, and the post said, The game, which peaked with 8.90 million from 9 to 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time, comfortably outdrew the NBA All-Star Game on TNT and TBS in March, who's had 5.94 million, as well as the most recent Pro Bowl in January out of last year, with the Pro Bowl uh, receiving 7.97 million, uh, million, million viewers. Now, 
People were commenting saying, oh, baseball's not dying. Baseball is better than basketball. It's better than football. And I will let those people have their opinions. I love baseball as much as anyone. It's my favorite sport. You all know that. You also know that I am a firm believer that the sport is dying. These all-star game viewer ratings are not good. They're not good. 8.9 million from for a 15 minute period where it averaged 8.24 million is not good. All right. There was no all-star game in 2020. So there's nothing to compare to that. We just have 2019s to compare off of being the most recent one outside of this year. Now, without the all-star game last year, going two years without the event, you would think a lot of people would want to tune in because, hey, it's been two years. Hey, you know, Vlad Jr. is a star. Fernando Tatis is the face of baseball. Shohei Otani is pitching and hitting in the game. You would think there would be many, 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 many more people invested into this game. The Red Sox have five all-star players in the game. Aaron Judge is one of the best up-and-coming players. Max Scherzer making his fourth all-star game start. It's like there's all these major and, you know, minor headlines, you know, major league-wide headlines or major... Local headlines, like for the for the Nationals, obviously, four All-Star game starts for Max Scherzer. That's a big deal, right? Aaron Judge being in the All-Star game is a big deal for New York. Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis, Shohei Otani, those are all major league-wide headlines. It's just like to only have 100,000 more viewers from last, not last year, but the last All-Star game in 2019 is pathetic. It sincerely is pathetic. And I'm going to completely exclude the Home Run Derby from this. I don't have numbers for those. I don't want numbers for those. All right. And to say, and for people to say that the, at that baseball, Major League Baseball is in a better position than football, the NFL, and basketball being the NBA, based off of these numbers that, let's not even include the PK. Let's just include the average because the average is a much more, uh, telling number being 8.24 million viewers. That is what baseball's all-star game averaged. And then the all-star game for the National Basketball Association averaged 5.94 million and the Pro Bowl averaged 7.97. Now we all can agree, right? We all can agree that the NBA's all-star game is a joke. It's pathetic. It is not good basketball it's just people dribbling dumb threes dunks breakaways there's no defense there's little to no effort people are trying not to be injured they're just kind of showcasing nothing really like every we all know you can shoot a three we all know that you can hit a dunk or like slam down a dunk we all know that you can pass a couple times for a fast break but, like, we want to see LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis, uh, Jason Tatum getting his first start, Jalen Brown elected to do his first All-Star game, Luka Doncic. We want to see those guys playing together at the highest level. Because outside of the All-Star game, we're not going to see the league's best players until, like, what, the NBA Finals? Where, theoretically, the best players in the league, or at least the best teams, should be in the Finals, and the best teams should have the best players. So we're never going to see this matchup of superstars, stars, up-and-coming stars, veterans, ever again, except for one night a year at the All-Star Game. 
And we all know that the All-Star Game in basketball is good for at least 140, 50, 60 points. Easy. For one team. It's just, it's so unbearable. And you know, I've gone on so many rants about the uh, the NBA. I've gone on so many rants about the Celtics. How it's just dribble, shoot three, dribble, make a move, dunk. Minimal defense. There's no more twos. People look for fouls. In the All-Star Game, people aren't fouling. It's just... Such a watered-down product. It really is. And I understand people aren't going a 1,000% because they don't want to tear an ACL. They don't want to roll an ankle. They have bigger picture in mind being the, the rest of their team's regular season, right? And I totally get that. And I totally understand that. But, like, oh, this product is so terrible. It's abysmal to watch. I can't even watch it. I used to love the NBA All-Star game. I used to absolutely love it. But now it's just I can't even watch. I couldn't even watch basketball. Period this year, because it's so watered down and it's just so, so such a bad product. It really is. And then the Pro Bowl. Now the Pro Bowl has done things to actually kind of make it more competitive and more safe at the same time. So like, you know, if there's like a you know receiver catches the ball, he goes into the cornerback. One second he's not down, plays immediately dead. You can only like rush three or four guys uh, at once. So there's like no blitzing. Uh, what else have they done? I think they took away PATs. So you have to like go for two, I believe. I'm not exactly sure. I don't really watch it all too much. But like they've done some stuff to make it interesting and make it competitive. I think they've even incentivized the winners even. So as bad as, bad as the Pro Bowl has gotten in terms of reputation, it's at least trying. Because, yes, football is one of the most dangerous sports, arguably the most dangerous sport. And in a period where this long, rough, terrible uh, season may be terrible, but, you know, long, physical, battling, you know, really mentally challenging season, physically challenging season for players. And at whatever time, whether it's the end of the regular season, the wild card, divisional, or the championship uh, game, they got to go to, I think it's been Orlando the past few years now, to play a meaningless game. And, like, yeah, there's some skill competitions. You get to link up with, you know, the rest of the league's best players. And they try to make, like, you know, a big old week out of it. And, you know, they show the practices. You know, they usually have, like, celebrity coaches, like former players. It's at least trying. It's at least trying to make this product interesting. So it's not just, you know, a blowout one way or if it's not just, you know, 40 to 40 or 50 to 50. I think like last year's it was like 20 to 30 or something like that. I don't even know what it was. 2020 Pro Bowl. Now, I could be completely wrong. 33-38. Um, okay, so I was a little off there. Let's see. What about the 2019 Pro Bowl? Because there's one year that was, yeah, okay, 26 to 7. But at least, like, that's a blowout, yes. But it's not like the basket. It's not like basketball's all-star game where it's just like, you're just chucking up threes and it's like 150 to 150. And I think like a few years back, they even tried to, you know, completely get rid of like conferences. And like they had like a Pro Bowl draft where I think it was like Deion Sanders and uh, I don't even know, Jerry Grice maybe. And they would like they were the captains slash coaches and they would pick a team and like pick players based off of, you know, who they wanted for their team. The effort is there to make this product better. Now, 7.97 million viewers for last year's Pro Bowl. I don't know if that's high. I don't know if that's low. Average, going up, going down, I don't care. The Pro Bowl game 
for the uh, not the Pro Bowl game. The All Star game for basketball is five point nine four million. I don't know if that's up, down, too high, too low, average, r- just about right. I don't care. Right now, all I care about is baseball's All Star game because that is what is in front of us, and quite frankly, that's the one that I care the most about. Now, I'm not saying that I don't care about the other ones. I will happily watch the other ones when the product gets good. I didn't wasn't able to actually watch this year's All Star game because a I don't have cable. And B, there is no B. <laughs> All right. But 8.24 million viewers. Yes, it's up 100,000 viewers from 2019's All-Star Game. Yippee. Yes, it's up. Yippee. Yes, it's higher than basketball and the football's respective All-Star Game slash Pro Bowl. Yippee. But this All-Star Game in the late 90s was at like... 22 million or whatever it was. I saw a statistic, or at least I heard on the radio maybe. 22 million was like the average viewership, the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. And then I think it dipped all the way down to 14 million in 2002, the year that the All-Star Game tied in Milwaukee. And people were panicking. They were frantic that the sport was going to collapse, that the game was going to die, and that people lost interest in baseball. Me, the commissioner, and all the teams right now would die for 14 million average viewers. Would absolutely die. But where has this game gone in 20 years? Roughly 20 years. You went from 22 million, and I think in like the 80s it was even like near 30, all the way down to 8.24 and you're going to tell me that baseball is in a better spot than football or basketball I will give you basketball I will give you the argument that it could be better than basketball or at least in a better situation than basketball but football no shot no shot people love football way too much and that will forever be this country's number one sport whether you like it or not now what can happen to go from 8.24 and saying that this sport is better than football, basketball, and to say that it's not dying. Look at the history. It is dropping off, or it has dropped off. I guess this year in 2019's All-Star Game, it's actually going up technically. But look at the statistics. How can you not tell me that it's not a dying sport? So to counteract that argument, I have... Another statistic from Twitter, MLB Communications at MLB underscore PR, and it had first half consumption for Major League Baseball for the 2021 season. And the, the tweet says the first half of the 2021 MLB season has been significant, has seen significant increases in media consumption compared to 2020. Now, before I even look at these statistics, I will say this 2020 was a different year. It was interesting. The rules were very amended for that year. Um, let's see. The extra uh, the extra base runner, was that? I think that was a thing last year. NL had DH. You only got five mound visits. 16 teams made the playoffs or whatever it was. People were starting to go back to work a little bit, you know, come baseball season. Maybe, maybe not. Also, a lot of people were inside. I just... Were they not, you know, satisfied with, you know, the product of baseball? 
what what could it have been? It could have been the return of the basketball and hockey playoffs. And then when you when the season got into September, it was the return of football that showed low numbers because national televised games in 2021 on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball is up 26% from last year. Now, it doesn't tell me this photo from MLB Communications does not say what last year's 2020 numbers were for these respective national televised networks. Does not tell me what it was. It just says up a percentage. ESPN Sunday Night Baseball in 2021 is up 26% in terms of viewership compared to 2020. Fox Saturday Baseball is up 32%. TBS is up 49%. Uh, Fox Sports 1 up 78%. And then MLB Network is up 34%. How is the sport not dying when it is reeling in numbers like that? Here's how. Baseball was shortened to 60 games last year, which a lot of people did not like. Some people did. Some people didn't. Also, all the rule changes, COVID was still going around. The whole, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals had like 25 games canceled. They were playing doubleheaders day in and day out. Oh, and plus the doubleheaders, the seven-inning doubleheaders was another thing people really hated and still do. Conversation for another day. Also, like I mentioned, the return of the hockey playoffs, return of basketball playoffs. Then come September, you had football. People weren't going to really pay attention to this season because when it's only a 60-game season and it's normally 162, a lot of people said, screw it, this is the year to kind of tank for a high draft pick or you know, kind of really focus on rebuilding because no one's going to take it seriously because it's only 60 games. The winner of the World Series is going to have an asterisk. It's not going to really matter. So they just didn't care about 2020. And obviously, like I said, everything going on with COVID, everything going on in society just gives them more reason to not invest into the sport, especially where the sport is A, already so divided, and B, there's already a rift between the players' union and the league. So that is why that these increases from last year to this year are so drastic. Because yes, people are actually still invested in baseball. And yes, you could look at Sunday Night Baseball, 26, Fox, Saturday, 32, TBS, 49, FS, 178, and MLB Network are all up by their own percentage, MLB Network being 34%. But that doesn't mean the sport is thriving. Look at history. It is ticking down, 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 down. Look at the All-Star Game. Another example. The sport is thriving this year only in comparison to last year. That's it. Could we point to specific players and say they're helping the league in their ratings? Absolutely. Look at Shohei Otani. A major reason why this league is thriving this year. Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the the faces of baseball are the reason why baseball is thriving this year. But when you look at it in comparison to last year, the sport's booming. No way it's dying. But let's look at it over a five-year sample, a 10-year sample. And no matter how many years back you go, there was faces of baseball then. Five years ago, Mike Trout. Ten years ago, who who, who would you pick? Uh, you know, Derek Jeter, maybe? Mike Trout was, what, 2011 was... Uh, 
one year or rookie, whatever it may be. You know, 15 years ago, you still had, you know, Jeter, you still had A-Rod, Ortiz, Manny. Like, you still had all those guys. There were stars back then to be the face of baseball, just like there is now. The only difference is social media and uh, media coverage, which serves the benefit of baseball. But do not let the 2020 and the 2021 comparisons fool you. This sport is still dying and still needs help. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. And I hope that my expansion video that I animated and I released on Thursday illustrates why that baseball is dying and it needs help, whether it's through expansion, whether it's through relocation, whether it's through uh, media coverage, stars, rule changes, something needs to change for baseball. Because yes, 2021 looks nice and compared to 2020, but let's dive deeper and look at it in 2019, 2018, five years ago, 10 years, so on and so forth. You get the picture. That's what I want you to look. Look at the bigger picture. Don't just be fooled for a one-off. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, baseball still needs help. It is still dying. Anyways, enough with the whole you know moping about baseball stuff. I'm very happy that the product is doing well this year. Could it help the game moving forward? Absolutely. Could we see you know things improve next year and the year after that? Absolutely. I'm not going to exclude that. However, in comparison to what we have in years past, this is my reaction and my thoughts now. Obviously, five years from now, it could be completely different. It could be more depressing. It could be more exciting. It could be who knows. That's five years from now. We don't know. But I'm going based off of what we do have at our hands in terms of statistical data for the game. But enough about baseball. I do want to talk about the next topic on hand. And that is, uh, let's see, which one do I want to pick? I'll pick... Jaron Duran supposed to make his major league debut on Thursday game got canceled Friday made his major league debut on Friday and boy was it a great game although the Red Sox lost three to one to the New York Yankees in the rain shortened game however it was beautiful nonetheless to see Jaron Duran get his first at bat first pitch he sees base hit right up the middle right off Garrett Cole and this is an article from Nesson written by Adam London. He wrote a good article talking about uh, Duran's first game, his first you know, at-bat, his approach, the first pitch, the first hit, all that good stuff. So this is what I'm just going to kind of breeze through, um, you know, him getting called up, you know, the game last night, whatever, or not last night on Friday. Anyways, knowing the caliber of pitcher Cole is, Duran wanted to be aggressive in the batter's box. Quote, I was hoping he'd throw me a fastball, end quote. Duran told reporters after the game, per Mass Live, quote, he's a really good pitcher, so I wanted to make sure I got my pitch before he started to dice me up. I guess that worked in my favor and I got a fastball first pitch, end quote. Duran also explained the effect of picking up a hit in his first Major League Baseball at bat, quote, I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders, end quote, Duran told reporters, quote, I was like, okay, I can relax now. Just getting that first one out of the way, end quote. It was fantastic to see Jaron Durant up here with the Red Sox, and he actually contributed, getting a base hit. And you know what? The future is bright for that kid. He really is. A lot of people are saying that, you know, 
It could be Polar Park. He could just be going through, you know, a, a good stretch down in Worcester. Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Things are going good for him right now. And I'm very excited to see where things will go for him for the Red Sox. However, I, that does bring me to my next point. Because in addition to, Tan, uh, to Jan Duran, the Red Sox also called up Tanner Houck. Now, what does this mean for the team? You bring up two of your better prospects for a series in New York roughly two weeks before the trade deadline. Why? Why now? Why not before? Why not after? Here's why. I've sat here and said that the Red Sox need to make a move at the deadline. Bring up a, uh, to trade a lefty back, get another outfielder, move Kike to second base. I kind of put pitching to the... Uh, back burner because Chris Sale's coming back. Tanner Houck will come back to the big leagues. The uh, bullpen's doing really good. Sale or Houck could be a sixth starter in that rotation because that rotation's doing solid. But they brought, the Red Sox called these two guys up because they want to see if Duran and or Houck is the answer for their current team needs. If Jaron Duran turns out to be a 350 hitter for the rest of this season, hitting 15 home runs and driving in like 50 RBIs, then there's no need to trade for a guy. Obviously, that's, you know, for the rest of the season. I'm just saying, like, next two weeks, right? Say he still hits like, you know, 350, hits like five home runs and drives in like 25 RBIs. Then he's your answer for that left handed bat in your lineup, that fourth outfielder. He's your answer. If Tanner Houck comes up and he's either pitching dynamically out of the bullpen or if he's, you know, starting going six, seven strong innings, giving up zero, one or two runs every start, then he's your answer for your pitching needs. Plus, you'll have Chris Sale coming back at some point and there'll be no need to go out to make a move for a left handed bat or another pitcher, whether it's in the bullpen or in the rotation, because you had the answer in house. That is why the timing of this move is so important. Because you have two weeks before the Major League Baseball trade deadline to go improve your team. Now, regardless how good these guys play, whether they become studs, whether they become duds, you still have to go make a move anyways. Now, obviously, you may be less likely to go acquire a pitcher because you have Hulk, because you have Chris Sale coming back. Sure, I've said putting... Pitching needs on the back burner. Focus on the lineup right now to help with the consistency. Jaron Duran could be a huge part of that. Regardless if he is or not, I still think another bat is key in your lineup, especially a lefty bat. Saw Bobby Dahlbeck get sat. Uh, was it last night's game against New York? Christian Arroyo got his first start at first base after taking a few days to practice there. He actually got injured in the third inning. Bobby Dahlbeck replaced him. So we don't really know the status of Christian Arroyo just yet moving forward. However, I still think that as well as Arroyo has been playing, I don't know if he's the answer there defensively and offensively because I'm not sold on him offensively. I know he's been playing well and hitting the ball very well when he's in the lineup. And unfortunately, he is a little injury prone, no fault to his own with collisions at, you know, with Kike and then obviously overstretching at first base. But these are things you need to consider. You, you got to be able to rely on players and, also, he's not a left-handed bat, and I really think the Red Sox need a left-handed bat in that lineup. Red Sox need to make moves, regardless how good Jaron Duran and or Tanner Houck play. They have to. They have to keep up with the Astros. 
They need to stay ahead of the Rays. Don't let the Yankees get hot. The Chicago White Sox are a force in the Central. The Athletics are serious contenders, or at least serious West contenders for um, you know the American League as well. So you have those teams to worry about. And I'm not even going to talk about the National League because you do have some National League opponents to still play. And also come the World Series when you're playing one of the National League teams. Getting way ahead of myself there. Let's focus between now and the next two weeks. That is my thoughts on Jaron Duran and Tanner Houck being called up, especially the timing of when they're called up with only two weeks before the trade deadline. Now, the last thing, the last and final thing I want to talk about is the Boston Bruins protected list. It has finally been released for the 2021 NHL expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. I, this is basically what I, this is basically what I expected. I thought I just knocked off my like headset for a second. This is basically what I expected. So the Bruins did decide to choose the seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie option. They chose to forego the eight skater and one goalie option, which I expected. They decided to protect Patrice Bergeron, Charlie Coyle, Jake DeBrusque, Brad Marchand, Trent Frederick, David Pasternak, Craig Smith, Brandon Carlo, Matt Grizzlick, Charlie McAvoy, and Daniel Vladar. Now, just pause really quickly. They do not need to protect Jeremy Swayman because he has zero or only one year of experience. So, rookies and one-year players do not need to be protected all across NHL. Exposed players. I'm just going to read off a couple notables. David Krejci, Taylor Hall, Andre Kasha, Nick Ritchie, Chris Wagner, Sean Corrali, Curtis Lazar, Tuka, Yaroslav Halak, uh, Jacob uh, Zaborl, Jeremy Lozon, Connor Clifton, Mike Riley, just to name a few. Now, where do the Seattle Kraken go? Before I answer that, let me go back to who the Bruins protected, and that is Jake DeBrusque. I'm very surprised they protected him. I am and I'm not at the same time. I am because it would have been a good bait for the Seattle Kraken to pick. So you can kind of keep Clifton and Jeremy Lozon. Because those two are good young defensemen and that's hard to come by in the league. And that is going to be very salivating for the Seattle Kraken to take. Especially being you know, a new team in the league. Obviously wanting to you know, stash up on good defenseman players where you could probably find a Jake DeBrusque-like player almost anywhere. The Bruins more than likely protected him to either trade him or they still have hope and confidence that he can perform for this team in the 2021-2022 season. I had no doubt in my mind that they weren't going to go with the eight-skater, one-goalie option. But let's look at the exposed players, though. Krejci, Hall, Kasha, Ritchie. Tuka, Yaroslav Halak, and the Bruins have already said they're going to go the separate ways, so I don't really care. Krejci, Hall, and Tuka Rask are all on expired contracts. It would be stupid, absolutely stupid for the Seattle Kraken to pick any of them because come July something, 21st maybe, I think it is. I don't even know what day they become. No, because the league is in a roster freeze. I forget what day that they become official free agents. But the Kraken are going to have, what, like four days or something like that to like negotiate contracts with them. And, 
you know, there could be like a hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod kind of thing going with the Bruins and like a Hall or a Krejci to be like, hey, we're going to leave you unprotected, protect these guys to make sure our team is better. Don't sign a contract. We're going to sign you. We'll agree to this deal. Both sides will be like, okay. And then that is that. Because when the player, say David Krejci, for example, gets picked by the Kraken, goes to Seattle, try to work out a deal. He says, no, I want $15 million. That's obviously something that's not going to happen. Sorry for the dog that you hear barking. Kim has a friend over and she bought her dog. Anyways, the Kraken say, what the fuck? No, we're not going to give you $15 million a year for 10 years. He becomes a free agent whenever that date is. And then he just signs with the Bruins to whatever that predetermined deal number length and all that good stuff was. That's why I'm kind of surprised that Brandon Carlo deal was done when it was. I kind of assumed that there might have been a little wink, wink, nod, nod there. So they could kind of keep Jeremy Lozon or Connor Clifton, even Mike Riley. So it just... The way that things kind of shaked up was uh, very interesting. But you know what? I like this list altogether. I'm not mad that Jake DeBrusque is protected. I just hope that he actually turns out to be who the Bruins want him to be and obviously what us fans want him to be. And additionally, if the plan is to trade him, you better get a good damn package back because if you lose Lozon or Clifton and your return for Jake DeBrusque sucks, then that's a big mistake right there. That is a big mistake right there. But that's just my immediate thoughts about the protected list and the exposed players that the Bruins have officially come out with for the 21, uh, 2021 NHL expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. And the draft, I believe, is Wednesday. I'm not sure what time it is, but I believe it's on Wednesday. So just a couple days from now, and I'm super excited for that. I cannot wait. I'm so curious to see who the Bruins are going to take. Let me know who you think oh, the Bruins are going to take. <laughs> the, the Kraken are going to take. Let me know in the comment section down below if you're watching on YouTube or reach out to me on social media who you think the Kraken will take from the Boston Bruins. You can find me on social media at Merce underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for sports talk. And guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. It is currently 1.55 in the afternoon. I have roughly five minutes to wrap up this episode, download it, upload it, all that good stuff. So thank you so much for joining me in this locked and loaded, action-packed, info-filled episode, episode 74. I really appreciate it. Thank you for understanding why I had to cancel Friday's episode because the card shop, sports memorabilia store, Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop is a go green as Christmas. I cannot wait. Videos, uploads, social media posts, news, info, all that to come very very soon but folks thank you so much for joining me in this episode i really appreciate every download listen and enjoy you can find me on spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music google Podcasts, etc and you can also find me on youtube at murph's boston sports talk over there as well please like the video if you enjoyed it like i said comment down below and if you're new or haven't considered please hit that big giant red subscribe button Folks, that's going to do it. I will catch you for Friday's, I promise I won't cancel, Friday's episode 75 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But between now and then, enjoy the rest of your week. And you know that I love you. And you know that I will always see you.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at 